Appreciate that message and song. We're looking at Joshua chapter 6, chapter 7 today. We'll read from chapter 6. Appreciate uh, what sound system we do have. One of our bright men pointed out to me that without electricity, we'd have to watch TV by candlelight. (laughs) Won't say who. The valley of trouble, the valley of trouble. There are several significant valleys in the Holy Land. We think of the valley, the Kidron Valley, also called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. That is where uh, the, the valley of, it's also called the Valley of Gog and Magog, and that's the valley where the great battle at the end of the age is going to take place. Satan's loose for, uh, you know, a season after the thousand years he'd been bound. He rallies all the nations of the world against Israel and against the Lord, and the Lord defeats them all. The Valley of Hinnom, where we get our word Gehenna from, is one of the words for hell, is a valley where they burnt garbage continually. You go in the eastern gate, go completely through the city out the back gate, and that's where they burned garbage and the fire never went out. And that's the word used for hell. That's a significant valley as well. Then we all know of the Valley of Megiddo, which will be the battle at the end of the tribulation period, when, again, uh, the armies are ready to attack Israel and the Lord defeats them. But today we're looking at the Valley of Trouble. That's what this valley is named in Joshua chapter 7 after Achan, who had sinned against the Lord. Now, Memorial Day started as Decorated Day shortly after the Civil War in the South in 1866. In the North, it was recognized two years later in 1868. It was called Memorial Day for the first time in 1883, but not until after World War II was it known uh, to be uh, recognized by everyone. In fact, in 1967, it became federal law, and in 1968, was designated as the last Monday in May. But not until 1971 did all 50 states recognize Memorial Day. But this is a day we remember those who have died and gone on to be with the Lord. Many maybe haven't, and that's sad. Joshua, we're going to look at today, is considered the writer of this book up until his death. And the high priest, they believe, finished the book. His name means Jehovah is salvation. And of course, Joshua, the Greek name, is Jesus. We know that it's pronounced in the Hebrew, Yeshua, uh, And, of course, we know that the lessons we learn here, there's two great lessons in the text today. One lesson is that great victories do not give us strength for the next battle. We need our strength renewed day by day. Just because God blessed you with a victory in the past doesn't mean automatically you're going to get victory today unless you depend on Him. And the other great lesson we learn is that the first fruits belong to God. The principle of the first fruit is found all through Scripture. The first fruits of your giving go to God. You know that. The first day of the week, you give first to your church. You understand that. And I think about this text because this is the first city they defeated, Jericho. And God wanted them to give the fruits of their labor, the spoils of war, the metals, precious metals to the tabernacle and the rest to destroy. But, of course, there was disobedience. And we find here is they planned to capture the city that there was some shortcomings and some failures along the way. Let's read chapter 6, verse 18. Stand with me. We'll read four verses, then we'll jump and read one word in chapter 7, one word. In verse 18, it says, 
And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Look, verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpets, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Actually, it fell inward, killing many of the people that were inside the wall. It fell inward. So the people went up unto that city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Verse 24. And they burnt the city with fire, and all that was therein, only the silver and gold and the vessels of brass and of iron, they put into the treasury of the Lord. Chapter 7, one word, but, but. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that today we glean something to help us in our daily walk. And we learn some great lessons in Scripture, and today help us to learn a couple of great lessons. Bless us, Lord. Hide me behind your cross and just feed the people today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The word but. Never get into a butting contest with God. And Jonah was called to Nineveh, but he found a ship and headed to Tarshish. But the Lord sent out a great wind, and the fish swallowed him up. So you don't butt heads with God. It says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabbi, and the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. This word translated kindled is translated hot in your Bible in a couple of places. God was hot with anger because there was disobedience. Nobody knew about it other than Achan and God. But uh, they had sinned against God by taking the accursed thing. The word accursed is translated devoted seven times in your Bible because these things were devoted to false gods. So they were accursed. And so God didn't want them to take those spoils. They wanted, God wanted them to burn them up and the medals to give to the house of God. And of course, in every battle, the children of Israel would keep the spoils of war except the first battle. Jericho, they were to give the things to God. And of course, they disobeyed. We know that the Lord was very angry because of what Achan did. Now, interestingly enough, Achan is a descendant of Judah and Tamar, that ancestral relationship. He's a descendant of that. And, of course, so is the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. On one hand, you have Achan, and, and the, the, the one with trouble. And on the other hand, we have our Savior, all from the same lineage, with the exception Jesus was born of a virgin. Now, Achan, we see in verse 2, the Bible says, And Joshua sent men uh, from Jericho, which is beside Beth Haven. Beth Haven means house of evil. And then, of course, on the east side of Bethel, Bethel means house of God. El is the word God. And Beth is house, house of God. We know that was a great place in the past in Genesis uh, for Isaac and, and for Jacob. Bethel was a great meeting place for God. And he sends men to go and spy out the country. And these men come back. And they say, well, we can easily handle these people. Let's just send a few thousand men up. We'll defeat Ai. And it doesn't work. You see, God was great, not Israel. Israel wasn't such a great military that they could win great battles without God. 
In fact, in chapter 8 and verse 1, we notice it says here, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given unto thy hand uh, the king of Ai and his people. So when they got right with God, God would give them that city, but it was always dependent on God's blessing. We, we know that back in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, God told Joshua, The Lord will go before you. The reason they defeated Jericho was because God had gone before them. And we know God has given them Ai, but the first time they tried to defeat Ai, they got defeated because of sin. And look at verse 5. And the men of Ai smote of them about 36 men. For they chased them. I mean, the Israelites are running in fear from the soldiers of Ai because they were out of God's will. And what did this do to the camp? It hurt the whole camp. It hurt all of Israel. What practical application can we make in this? When you sin, you hurt other people. Achan hurt the whole army. Now they have to have a memorial because 36 men died for Israel and died in vain. I think about how many wars we've had in America with poor leadership. A lot of Americans have died because of poor leadership. We've gotten in wars where we've said, we don't want to bomb this place. We'll let them have their ports, and we don't want to do this, and we don't want to do that. And we've had people in political leadership make decisions that have cost us lives rather than the good warriors, the generals making decisions. We know we've had a lot of people die because of poor leadership. And I think about all those that have died. And, you know, I remember after the Vietnam War, uh, people were kind of condescending towards Vietnam veterans. And I thought, thought, shame on them. They're obeying their leaders. They're fighting for what their leaders call them to fight for. And they ought to be recognized just as much as World War II veterans and those who have died during World War I, World War II, the Korean War. And, yes, Vietnam, just as important. But uh, God's left out of this plan. They, were, they had enough. They thought, we'll just go in and, and win the, the battle. But James says, God resists the proud. Just send in a few thousand, they say in verse 3. They'll take the city. It'll be easy. And it wasn't easy because of bad leadership. So here Joshua now is mourning. We pick up in verse 6. He rents his clothes. He'll put ashes on their heads. And that was a sign of mourning. All throughout the Old Testament, mourning was always symbolized by putting ashes on top of you, symbolizing defeat and destruction. And, and of course, they had left God out. Now they're mourning uh, because of their bad fortune. And then verse 7 says, Joshua prays, Alas, O Lord God, did you bring us out of Egypt to let the Amorites defeat us? He's pouting. Well, you know, he doesn't realize what's happened with Achan. He doesn't remember that he should have prayed before. He shouldn't have sought the carnal leadership of the spies. He should have gone to God and asked for direction. And uh, we know that he did everything wrong, even though Joshua was a great leader. And the Amorites were one of seven nations in the Holy Land. And in chapter 5, verse 1, if you look back there, we're not going to look back there now, later you can. The Amorites feared Israel. When they heard about Israel coming across the Jordan River on dry ground, They feared. And later we find in 2 Samuel that uh, Solomon would defeat them, wipe them out as a people. But they've gone from fear of Israel to courage against Israel. 
And that's because Israel was going about this all the wrong way. In chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible says the enemies of Israel's hearts melted. But here they didn't because of sin. I think back of Numbers chapter 14 when the people said, you know, we should go back to Egypt. We had it great in Egypt. And and that's kind of what Josh was saying here. Lord, did you bring us out of Egypt? Bring us into the Holy Land to be defeated. And of course, he in verse 10, he falls on his face. And he's he's down on his face and he's he's crying out to God. And I like what God says. <clears throat> and the Lord said to Joshua, "Get thee up. Why are you lying on your on the ground? Why are you lying face down on the ground?" That's a paraphrase. "Get up. You're a leader." Pray and then get up and lead. And, and leaders need to lead. I, I love the saying someone, I, I've got this somewhere, I don't remember where. Unless there is within us that which is above us, we will yield to those around us. Unless you have the Lord in your life leading you, you'll succumb to the enemy. You'll give in uh, to the opposition because you're not strong enough and you're not led enough by God. In verse 11, God says, Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant. The word sin means to miss the mark or to come up short. The word transgress means to cross the line or to go too far. They'd sinned, and they'd transgressed. Joshua does not understand what's going on, but God has to tell him, they have sinned. Look back at chapter 6 and verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was noised throughout all the country. So something happened between verse 27 and the very next verse. All of a sudden there's sin in the camp. And all of a sudden they're defeated. Joshua doesn't look so great. What does he do? Well, they consecrate themselves. And then Joshua decides they sanctified themselves in verse 13. And then in verses 14 and following, Joshua decides we have to expose the sin. We have to expose the sin. Now look at Proverbs chapter 16, if you will. It's hard to understand this, but we accept it because the Bible tells us to accept it. And we accept everything in the Word of God. But in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 33... It says here, what did I say, 1633? Hey, I'm lost in my own Bible here. 1633, it says here, The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing of thereof is of the Lord. Isn't it interesting how they cast lots back then to choose a replacement disciple, and God blessed those things miraculously? Even the people on the ship wanted to find out who was causing the, the ship that Jonah was on to you know, hit this big storm when it wasn't part of their plan. And, and so they cast lots, and Jonah said, you don't need to do that, it's me. I'm the problem here, throw me overboard, and everything will be okay. But they cast lots. And we believe here they cast lots. They would take 12 stones, put them in an urn, and roll the urn around and pick one out, and they figure out it's the tribe of Judah. And they would go down and keep doing this until they figured out who it was that caused them to be defeated. In verse 15, it says here, And it came to pass that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire. He and all that hath, because he had transgressed the covenant of the Lord, because he had wrought folly 
in Israel. That's foolishness. Folly's foolishness. So here we see they're trying to figure out how to deal with this. In verse 16, it says here, in verse 16, there'd be no compromise. Joshua wanted sin dealt with. You know God hates sin. He's always hated sin. Every day our old nature causes us to sin. Whether it's the thoughts you allow to come into your mind. We talked about spiritual warfare. You allow those thoughts to keep coming in. Those negative thoughts. Those condescending thoughts about maybe even people you love. Or your workplace or your church. He's constantly bombarding your mind with bad thoughts. Because he's the enemy. And we have to resist him by quoting scripture like Jesus did. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word in this book. Jesus rebuked him with scripture. And you need to do that. Even while you're sitting here during church, you may have to say, Satan, leave me alone. I have the assurance from God that I'm eternally secure. The word of God says you're going to be bound for a thousand years. And eventually you're going to be thrown in the lake of fire forever and ever. Tell him that. He'll leave you alone. But he's constantly putting thoughts in our head. And no doubt he got to Achan and said, oh, look at that treasure. Look at that treasure. Verse 18, Achan steps forward and says, he brought us his household man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of... He's taken. And Achan in verse 19 says, Joshua said unto Achan, my son, give, I pray thee, glory to God. And Achan has to realize, he answers Joshua in verse 20 and and says, I'm the reason. I'm the reason. I have sinned against the Lord. But it's too late to confess. You know, people today are always quick to repent when they're caught. Oh, we confess when we're caught red-handed. But you know what, folks, when we do the wrong thing, we need to confess immediately. Not wait till we're exposed. He's caught. He wants to confess. It's too late. It's too late. God's cast judgment. He says in verse 20, when I I saw the spoils of the goodly, when I saw the the spoils, I, I wanted them. And James tells us every man is drawn away of his own lust. Lust, not, it doesn't always have to do with sex. The word lust means to desire something that you can't have or aren't supposed to have. He wasn't supposed to have it. He lusted over it. He saw it. It's no different than Eve wanting the fruit and being like God to know good and evil. It's no different than David seeing Bathsheba and lusting and wanting her, a woman who belonged to another man. Lust applies to so many areas in our lives, and we often find ourselves lusting. I, when I go to get my car maintenance, sometimes I go to the dealership. I don't go in the, in the room where all the new cars are. I start thinking, man, mine's looking pretty bad. Look at this one. Oh, I like that color. And I kind of think I want that car, but I don't need that car. Mine's still running fine. And I have to be content with what God has given me. Amen. But we sometimes want more. We look at others and we are envious of people who have more than us. We have to learn that contentment equals godliness. Be content with the things that you have because you have eternal life and you'll have plenty more than you could ever imagine in that next life. Plenty more. God's going to just bless us in heaven. But he saw things and he lusted over those things and he wanted those things. He coveted those things. That's one of the Ten Commandments, the tenth one. 
not to covet, not to want things that don't belong to you. And so we see today in, in our world, I mean, shopping malls. Everything's priced so high there because the hell big mall they have to pay for. And we go there. And I remember as a young guy, I didn't ever dare tell people my mom got my tennis shoes at Kmart. This is before Walmart came along. I didn't want anybody to know any of the things I had came from Kmart. We were always worried about what would someone think if I don't have a name brand. And that's given into the peer pressure of the world. And we don't need to do that. We need to be content with what we have. But sometimes I coveted. I knew a kid in our school. His dad made a lot of money. And every day he had a different sweater on, nice sweater. I mean, the guy must have had, you know, 30, 40 sweaters, it seemed like. Today I have all kinds of suits. I have so many suits. In the last 20 years, I've purchased one suit. But people have purchased me so many suits. In Okinawa, every year I get two or three suits. And I have a closet full of clothes. And I think, I wonder if anybody ever looks at me and says, well, I'd like to have all the suits. Well, just, just so you know, I have, last week I wore one that was tw- 27 years old. Still can get my big gut in there. But, you know, I have more than I need. I certainly shouldn't covet more clothing. In fact, all of us here today probably have all the food and clothing and shelter we need. But not all of us are content. All of us, the devil always says, wouldn't it be better if you had this place or this car? And we're always wanting something else. And that's a problem for God because it all belongs to him. And he wants us to be content. And lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The more you give to God, the more you're blessed. So anyway, we get back here to our text and verse 22, he says here in verse 22, So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. They cast lots, we believe, to figure out who it was, and now they go and find all this under his tent. Look with me, if you will, at Numbers 32, 23. Young people, mark this in your Bible. God gave us our Bible on printed page so we could write in it. So write this down. Mark it in your Bible. This is an important verse. The Bible says here, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And look at this last line. Mark this. And be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. If you continue in sin, God's going to expose you. He's going to expose you. Galatians 6 says, God is not mocked. You can't mock God. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And if you're sowing bad things, you're going to reap bad things. And you won't reap them necessarily the next day. When we plant a seed, a tomato seed, we wait months before the fruit appears. And when you plant seeds of sin, they'll come back to expose you and shock you. I thought about a couple of funny stories. These are true stories I pulled off the Internet. Police uh, said these, these group of men stole a car in San Jose, California, and drove it quite a ways to another city. And the police caught them when they were trying to break in the very car they had stolen. They thought they locked the keys inside. So they catch these guys breaking into someone else's car. In fact, it ends up being a car they had stolen. And to make matters worse, they find the keys for the men. They were in one of the men's pockets. 
Uh, yeah, how dumb can you get? I thought this was funny. Another story, a guy by the name of Adam Ruiz was arrested in Buffalo, New York. After he showed up at, a wor- at work at Burger King as a trainee, a week after he had robbed that same Burger King. Hello? In those comical situations, we laugh, but you know what? Be sure your sin will find you out. I could name time after time in my life where my dad caught me doing stuff I thought was well hidden. But it wasn't hidden good enough for my dad to figure it out. And uh, you know, it's certainly never hidden good enough for God to not notice. God will expose us. That's why I always remind you to confess your sin. And if you confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to what? Cleanse you. The moment you confess that word cleanse, you know the word. What is it? It's the word catheter. It's the Greek word, that tube that gets the yuck out. The moment you confess it, it's gone. But if you continue in it and you don't confess it, God's going to expose you and embarrass you. And sadly, sadly, we talked about leadership momentarily today. Look at verse 24. And Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, and he goes on to say, and his sons and his daughters and his and all his livestock. And they brought them in the valley of trouble, the valley of Acre, which means trouble. And they burned them and stoned them, the next verse says. Wow, that's horrible, Pastor. Even the children. Yes, look back to Deuteronomy um, <clears throat> 24. Deuteronomy 24. And we'll look at verse 16. Deuteronomy 24, 16. The father shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the father. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. So what happened back here in Joshua? According to the law, his children were involved. They helped dig the hole and bury the treasure. And as a result, they're punished. Clearly, the law said you don't, you don't punish kids for their father's sin. You don't punish fathers for their kids' sin. So obviously, the kids were involved. Here's a leader, Achan, and he leads his children to do this terrible thing of disobeying God and hiding treasure. And it just brought trouble to him in his house. He had his kids help him, and they died. Verse 26, and they raised over him a heap of stones unto this day. A memorial here unto the day of Joshua's writing. It's not there today, but it was there when, when this book was written. That heap of stones uh, was still there when Joshua finally got around to writing this book. In other words, a memorial. Sad memorial. Think of all the men who've died in our country. And you, you can't help but appreciate our military because they defend us. And they know when they go in, they're putting their life on the line. And you think of people who died with poor commanders and poor presidents. And we have graveyards full of lives that, that lost men who lost their lives and women as well because poor leadership. And so Aiken's family is a memorial because of their, their poor, his poor leadership. In our country, we have Memorial Day. For all those that have died, and many died heroically, patriotically, for our country. Where would we be if we didn't win World War II? What if Germany had taken over the world? 
and other wars that were so big in our history and our culture. But the valley of trouble here became a door of hope to God's people. Because in the next verse, and God said unto Joshua, Fear not, be that, be not, neither be thou dismayed. He says, I've given you the land. I've given you that city. So now they go back the second time and defeat Ai. You know, it pays to obey the Lord. I love Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. The, the psalmist said that, that he's never seen the righteous beg for bread. You know, if you're truly born again and a child of God, he's going to take care of you. He's going to feed you and clothe you. But seek first his kingdom. That, that's a condition attached to that promise. A lot of people go to Philippians chapter 4 and say, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Read the whole chapter. The promise to that church was because they gave to missions. And because they gave to missions, God would supply all their needs. And those are great promises. And the Bible says the fruit of Paul would go on the account of those that gave to him. I've not preached tithing since I've been here. This is about as close as we get to it this morning. But you know, the first fruits belong to God. And God will bless you for giving to his work. And the fruit of people who are saved will be on your account. I think of uh, last week, six people who joined the church by letter, all with, sick today with food poisoning, but we baptized four people. Do you know if you gave to this church, that's on your account. And God keeps good records. Amen? So we, we give to the Lord, we trust the Lord, and we seek him first. And there's been so many times in my life where I thought, I'm not sure, you know, about this decision. And I've gone and done things I shouldn't have done, made bad decisions. And I, I hope my children didn't learn from my mistakes. Or I hope they learned from them, but I hope they didn't follow in my footsteps. <laughs> you think, oh, the kids, it doesn't hurt them if, if we drive erratically and tailgate and get mad at the other drivers. Well, when you see your kid do it, then you'll say, I taught him that. I hadn't seen any of my kids do it, but I know I was an impatient driver. And, you know, I uh, was thrilled. I got a video from my son, Zach. He sent me a video of, his, of Ada, my granddaughter, who's about nine years old, got baptized in church last Sunday. And he sent the video, and I just loved it. I thought, praise God, man. Now I've had several grandchildren saved and some baptized. And, you know, I think about a friend of mine, my friend Doug, back up in Michigan. He was raised in a Christian home, but his dad did some things that hurt the family. He did some very serious things. I won't even mention them in this pulpit. And do you know, Doug's been messed up his whole life. You know why? He was taught bad behavior. Doug had trusted Christ. I say he professed to have trusted Christ in the back seat of my car when my friend Chuck, who came here uh, at 1 o'clock in the morning after I led Chuck the Lord, he said, let's go get Doug. I said, the Ridenauers are in bed sleeping. Well, he needs to hear that I got saved. So we woke up the Ridenauers. Doug got in the back, and Chuck was witness to him. Doug trusted Christ. He had trusted Christ before, he said, in the Nazarene church, but he thought he had lost his salvation, so I trusted him again, you know. But when I look at Doug's life, a ruined life, a man who's had nothing but bad relationships and alcohol have controlled his life. The mistakes that we make as parents 
in leading our family are serious mistakes. And I challenge you today, if you've been a poor leader, call and ask your children for forgiveness. They'll respect that. I, I want to be like Joshua when Joshua was a good man, <laughs> doing the right thing. I don't want to be like Joshua when he's pouting, you know, and saying, why are you doing this to us, God? You bring us out of Egypt and you bring us into the Holy Land only to trouble us. And sometimes we think like that. And I always remind you, I was thinking, listen to a radio program this week, and I want to just jump in there and say, hold on, that counsel's not correct. We need to think eternally, don't we? We're eternal beings. The moment I trusted Christ, I became eternal, eternally saved and eternally, eternally alive. But prior to that, I was eternally damned. And live life, folks. Remember, live life as though it's an eternal life. And realize the little bit of time you do and have here now is important. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for our works. I don't want to be empty-handed. I don't want to stand there and, and hear that some of my works were for the praise of men. I want to be there and for God to say, well done. That's, that's my desire. I've made enough mistakes. I can't afford to make too many more. Amen. Let's, let's be leaders like Joshua in the good times. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And Lord, for my feeble attempt to share your word, I know you speak to hearts because you always speak through your word. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who does not know Jesus as their Savior, that they'll give their life to him today. If there's other he others here that are making bad decisions, maybe they would come and pray and ask for help in decision-making. God, that this altar belongs to you. If someone needs to come for any other reason to join, to just get right to be saved, we pray that you'll bless all those that follow you in obedience. And help us, Lord, to live right. In Jesus' name, amen.